Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I am one of your hosts, Dave, and this episode I am joined by Cameron. How's it Hello, going, Cameron? Hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm over, back over. from prison. <laughs> <laughs> you were also in the Sky Jail? Yeah, yeah. The, the great Sky Jail of it's the end of the school year and you have suddenly all this work to do, even though you thought you'd finished three weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> But no, I'm back. It's wonderful to be back. Hello, everyone. I've missed you all. And Leonard's not here. So Leonard, yes. Um, Leonard has gone to take my place. <laughs> he's, gone, he's gone to the jail of sleep, I think, is what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some uh, long hours. Guy. It happens. He does. Mm. It's okay. We'll make do and uh, cover for him as, as we do. Um mm. Well, this episode, we're returning to Mr. Clark Ashton Smith, so we'll take a look at a few of the short stories. Um, but before that, as always, we will be taking a look at Yokai of the Week. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. <laughs> okay. My brain has stopped working. What are we doing? <laughs> you got to... <laughs> And say the magic words oh god of course you know what it's been i've spent so long in in the sky jail of australian weather and work that i've totally forgotten how this works you okay have a week we have a big long wikipedia page list one day we'll post it in the show notes of um of all these various japanese yokai seems a bit sure if just yokai would work uh and we we randomly generate a big old number and we pick that one to talk about uh this week we're doing r and s because the letter P appears to be non-existent on this list for whatever reason. Um, uh, I don't know about its use in Japanese language. Uh, so, Dave, uh, in the time-honored tradition, roll them. 26. 26, all right. So in the S category, because R is short. What do we got, Dave? The Shisa. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, I'll start us off then. The Shisa is a traditional Ryukyuan cultural artifact and decoration derived from Chinese guardian lions, often seen in similar pairs resembling a cross between a lion and a dog uh, from Okinawan mythology. In magic typology, they're sometimes also classified as gargoyle beasts. So it, 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 it's a big statue, basically, of a weird dog thing. Um, they are wards believed to protect from some evils. People place pairs of shisa on their rooftops or flanking the gates of their houses, with the left shisa traditionally having a closed mouth and the right one an open mouth. The open mouth shisa traditionally wards off evil spirits, and the closed mouth shisa keeps good spirits in. Handy. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll take the next section. So this is mm. history. Like the Koma Inu, the Shisa are a variation of the guardian lions from China. So, just repeating what was mm. in the first paragraph. Um, from the Edo yeah. period, they started to be called guardian dogs in general in mainland Japan. Gender is variously assigned to the Shisa. Some Okinawans believe that the male has his mouth closed to keep bad out of the home, while the female has her mouth open to share goodness. Uh, not in line with the previous paragraph. <laughs> Others yep. believe that the female has her mouth closed to keep in the good, while the male has his mouth open to scare away the bad. And that's what we found <laughs> in the first paragraph. Yeah. Compare yeah. this to <laughs> distinction between... Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll skip that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, go ahead and read the legend. Yeah. Okay, we got our legend. When a Chinese emissary returned from a voyage to the court at Shuri Castle, he brought a gift for the king, a necklace decorated with a figurine of a shisa. The king found it charming and wore it underneath his clothes. At the Naha Port Bay, the village of Madambashi was often terrorized by a sea dragon who ate the villagers and destroyed their property. One day, the king was visiting the village, and one of these attacks happened. All the people ran and hid. The local Noro had been told in a dream to instruct the king when he visited it, when he visited to stand on the beach and lift up his figurine towards the dragon. She sent the boy Chiga to tell him the message. He faced the monster with the figurine held high, and immediately a giant roar sounded all through the village, a roar so deep and powerful that it even shook the dragon. A massive boulder then fell from heaven and crushed the dragon's tail so that he couldn't move and eventually died. Um, 
Okay, this boulder in the dragon's body became covered with plants and surrounded by trees and can still be seen today as the Ganamui Woods near Nahaohashi Bridge. The townspeople then built a large stone shisa to protect it from dragon from the dragon spirit and other threats. That's a that's a scary guardian dog. <laughs> Summon an asteroid from heaven. Yes, it was his his final attack. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have pulled up an entry from the hour of meeting evil spirits, mm. and so we have. Shishi or lion dogs. Um, this is the, the mainland, or I guess the not only mainland, mm. but the rest of Japan version. Um, habitat: shrines, castles, graveyards, villages. Often seen on rooftops. Diet: carnivorous. Menacing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Appearance: Shisa are small dog-like yokai, which are found throughout the Ryukyu Islands. They are guardian deities which live in close, close proximity to humans. They are very similar to the lion dogs found in other East Asian countries, but there are a few notable differences. Shisa are native to the Ryukyu archipelago and... Ar archipelago? Anyway. Um, and are only found in Okinawa and the southern islands of Kyushu. <laughs> they are smaller and more dog-like than the lion dogs found throughout the rest of Japan. In most of Japan, lion dogs are found in pairs, yet the Shisa of Okinawa are often solitary. That doesn't jive with Wikipedia. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> One of these is not like the other. <laughs> I'll trust this book instead. Um, interactions. <laughs> I'm sorry, just the Wikipedia page in the book. One of us tells only truth. The other only lies. <laughs> <laughs> Book, do you need a donation? No, no, book's no. happy. No, it's good. We'll trust book. <laughs> Interactions. Shisa are used as wards against evil spirits. They are most frequently found in the rooftops of houses and castles, or flanking village gates and gravesites. Shisa mm -hmm. are also commonly used as shrine and temple guardians. Male-female pairs represent the A and Un syllables, which make up the Sanskrit word Om. Oh, um, interesting. The mystical sacred word found in India. Okay, that's a <clears throat> hyphen there. Um, this paired depiction of Shisa was mo most likely imported from Japan after the Ryukyu Islands were conquered. In Okinawan depictions, the open-mouthed Shisa is the female, which beckons good luck and fortune. The closed-mouthed Shisa is the male, which protects the village from natural disasters and evil spirits. Thank you for that clarification, book. They go. Good book. Um, <laughs> origin. Shisa are very close relatives of the Japanese Koma Inu and share the same ancestor, China's imperial guardian lions. However, while Koma Inu arrived in mainland Japan via Korea, Shisa were imported to the Ryukyu Islands directly from China before they were a part of Japan. In fact, the name Shisa is actually the Ryukyuan pronunciation of their Chinese name Shishi. The origin huh? of lion dogs. This entry goes on a while. I'm going to keep reading it. <laughs> lion dogs are found in many East Asian countries. In China, they are known as shishi, or lion, or stone lions. In Tibet, they are known as ryushi, or snow lions. In Myanmar, they are called chinte. In Japan, they are called koma inu, or Korean dogs. Mm. And in Ryukyu, they are called shisa. Lions, however, are not found in any of these countries, and the Asiatic lion is actually native to India. The lion dogs in Japan and Ryukyu come from the cultural diffusion due to heavy trade with the Tang Dynasty of China. However, the usage of guardian lion statues goes, much, ugh, goes back much further than the Tang Dynasty. Lion imagery was first brought to China via trade along the Silk Road with Central Asian countries. In fact, the Chinese word for lion shares the same etymological root with the Persian word for lion. The usage of lion as symbols of protection and royalty in Central Asian art came via trade from India where lion statues were frequently placed as guardians on both sides of statues of the Buddha. So the guardian lion dogs we see throughout Japan actually have their origins in India. The use of lions as symbols of protection goes back much further than the birth of Buddhism in India. Guardian lion statues <laughs> can be found <laughs> in ancient Mesopotamia and Egyptian art, <clears throat> which was introduced to India and Central Asia from Greece during Alexander the Great's conquest. Perhaps the Shisa are distantly related to the Sphinx or Lamassu. 
And that went on a lot longer than I thought it was going to, but it's <laughs> interesting nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to see how mythology spreads like that. Yeah. Oh, and there's some funny little pictures. <laughs> some nice little woodcuts. No, it's actually like a they they do little drawings like in, oh, cool. in color. Wow. So in this artist depiction, it's um it says she saw on a rooftop uh in a looks like a maybe it's a temple garden um but it's mm. on the bay. So there's a you know a nice ocean and some palm trees behind it and she saw his body is all white uh aside from its head and the little flame curly bits and its tail are red. Mm. And he's grinning. Cool. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a good boy. Just chilling there. Mm. Hang hang out and Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eat some evil. Apparently. <laughs> All right, I think that has been Yokai of the week. Da 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 da. da. Ta-da. <laughs> All righty. Okay. Well, while I'm tired from reading. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to start us off? Go ahead. What um so we could, we each picked a uh short story from Clark Ashton Smith as we did last time. Which story did you read? Uh I picked The Ghoul. Uh I didn't realize it was such a significantly shorter story. Uh but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Uh the title tells you basically everything you need to know. Uh <laughs> Not really. I'm guessing, um, I'm guessing there's a ghoul. There is a ghoul. You would be surprised to find out. Uh, so uh, the, the basic premise is on this. It's kind of centered around not quite a court case, more like an investigation into a series of murders committed over the course of a week uh, where sort of a, a young and gentle uh, young man has been accused of killing one person every night and dragging their corpses to a cemetery and then eating them. Uh, and you know, uh, he immediately confesses, and the story's over. That's it. The end. No, it's never so simple. I was like, I don't think that's what happened. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through right now. It did not immediately end. Don't, no, don't trick no. everyone, Cameron. No. Um. Yeah. So his name is uh Nureddin Hassan. Uh, and he's sort of uh, explaining what's happened. He says, No, no, I did do this. I'm very, I'm very sorry about it, but I had to do it. Um, I didn't do it because, you know, they offended me or they hurt me or I was standing to gain anything. I wasn't robbing them or anything. Uh, no, I'm just an honest man. Uh, I did this cause, uh, cause fortune is fickle and my life has been ruined, et cetera, et cetera. Um, essentially he, he had this wonderful life. He was up in the world. He had, a, he had many slaves and a fine house because this is that kind of setting, uh, and he was married to a, a woman called Amina, who's the daughter of a jewel merchant. Uh, and they loved each other very much. And they were about to have their first child. And, of course, he was far too happy, of course. And things had to take a downturn. And she died right before uh, right before she was due to give birth. And, you know, he buried her. And he went near mad with sorrow and sort of just wandered the cemetery all night and laid down on the grave and everything like that. And then, you know, sort of deep in the night, this massive demon appeared to him with of gigantic frame and stature with eyes of scarlet fire beneath brows that were coarse as tangled rootlets and fangs that overhung a cavernous mouth and earth-black teeth longer and sharper than those of the hyena. And the demon said to him, I'm a nil, which I guess is just a, an interestingly formed version of ghoul. I don't know if it has an actual etymological root in any real language. Uh, and it is it is this demon's office to devour the bodies of the dead uh, once they've been buried. So he he's not he's not a bad demon. He's doing it because it's his job. Um, and you know he, he's he's ready to get to work because he's really hungry because he hasn't eaten since last night when presumably someone else was buried. Uh, and you know uh, Nureddin is not into the idea of um, of his young and loved wife. Uh, being eaten so soon after her burial and implores the demon promises that he'll do anything it asks uh, as long as it ref as long as it doesn't eat uh, eat his wife's body and so the demon says okay 
every night you're going to kill someone, bring them to the cemetery and let me eat them. And uh, I guess promises are a really, really big thing in this culture uh, because it, it's basically an equal struggle between I don't want my wife's body to be desecrated and also I did promise to do this and he puts almost equal weight on them, which is a bit uh, crazy from my point of view, but sure. Um, so, you know, when it gets dark, uh, again, he goes by to a lonely road next to the cemetery, kills the first person he sees, drags them to the cemetery and leaves the body for the ghoul, who says, thanks, and eats them. Uh, and he does this for seven nights until he gets caught. Um, and, you know, the the, the court and the uh, the, the cadi, which is kind of the sultan-esque figure, I guess, who's judging him, uh, are really confused about how to rule this because again promises seem to be a very important thing in this culture and you know some are like well he's just gone mad and he's killing people others go no he made a promise and he's fulfilling it he shouldn't be charged at all you know he's bound to this promise um and and the the cardi sort of uh ponders it for a while and co goes well it's a marvelous story and i do understand you gave your promise you were forced to do this on your honor but you still did do an awful thing, so you're to go free, and you have to set this right in what way you think best. Um, because, you know, at, at this point, Nureddin's kind of distraught about the fact that he's either going to be imprisoned or killed for this, and either way, his wife's body is going to be desecrated because he can't possibly, in time for tonight, <laughs> find another person to murder. Um, and, you know, the Cardi says, no, no, set him free. He has to make amends on his own and sort things out for himself. And all all the court is in an uproar at this. And, you know, you just let a murderer go free or we should really find out more about this. And the Cardi goes, no, no, no. It will all sort it out. He will, he will find justice both for what he has done, what has been done to him and himself. And uh, the next morning, another body was found in the cemetery. Slain by Nureddin's own hand was Nureddin himself. Uh, he went and killed himself in the cemetery to fulfill the final required body for the contract with the ghoul. Uh, and yeah, he provided the required number of corpses. And that that is the entirety of the story. It is a much shorter story than I anticipated. I chose it mostly because I liked the sound of it. Um, and I, I like it as this little self-contained horror story. It's all sort of done as a very simple, as straightforward. There's not a lot of fluffing around. Uh, and I like the premise of a ghoul as this intelligent demon, more like a, a of a djinn than, you know, a ravenous flesh-mad cannibal kind of thing we get with the more Lovecraftian ghouls. Um, and it, it's just sitting in the cemetery like, dude, it's my job to eat everyone who's buried here, so uh, you've got to give me something if you want me to leave that one alone. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's it. That is the entirety of the story. It's very short. <laughs> that was so much shorter. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I like this one, and I I, I agree with the depiction of the ghoul in this. And mm. as uh, a related aside, there's a a TV or a mini series on Netflix. Okay. I think it's like only four episodes or so. Um, they're mm. uh, forty five minutes or so a piece. Uh, entitled The Ghoul. It's from India, oh. and it's okay. Somewhat similar to the setting of this. Um, mm, albeit okay. if you did a modern day setting instead. Yeah, yeah. But it's Honestly, defi definitely it's a, a very similar yeah. depiction of a ghoul. Oh, that's cool. Excellent. Yeah, getting all you all you, all those good references for everyone listening. Yes. <laughs> Go seek more media. <laughs> Find those ghouls. <laughs> just, <laughs> just don't make any promises. No, no, never promise anything to a ghoul before. I think his main problem was he said, I'll do anything you want. And the ghoul went, aha, well, yeah. I want this. Instead of saying, what would it take? And then, and then trying before, to like, before promising. you know, barter something down, make it yeah. a little bit more reasonable. I'm only going to kill three people, not eight. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think that's the moral of the story is don't be over eager to make promises maybe yeah. i'm not sure because it, it the moral yeah. story isn't don't make a promise with a ghoul it's make something no. reasonable with a ghoul mm. yeah yeah 
Okay, well, with that very swiftly over, uh, Dave, what, what story did you read uh, that is purportedly much longer? It is a little bit longer. Um, I read The City of the Singing Flame. Uh, this one okay. has a if you if you do the uh, what's called the reading um, version of the website like there's a button you mm. click and it lets you go yeah. through like it turns into a PDF almost um, it's like estimated re- read time an hour I did not look at that <laughs> when I picked the story mm. I was like singing flame sounds great I'll just read that. Yeah. The lesson in my story is to <laughs> preview the thing you're going to say you you say you're going to read before you <laughs> say you're going to read it. Um, and mm. not like something would have stopped me from picking a different story. This actually ended up being very interesting. Um, yeah. So what it's about, and I can distill the hour-long reading thing into like two minutes, maybe less. Mm. Uh, yeah. There's a... a a figure, uh, Giles and Garth, and he and his contemporaries uh, live in Nevada, in kind of near the mountains. Uh, he stumbles upon these two stones at the edge of a crater, and mm. he, the character is a, is a writer of fiction, and he he fancies that there may be some sort of strange. Thing about these uh, two stones and he finds um, little pebbles that don't look like they belong uh, to the to mm. the, the the geological structure of the area around so he yeah. takes a, a closer look at the stones and stumbles through what turns out to be a an extra dimensional portal oh, in, into okay. some other land um, and it's not Oz uh and this the the story is sort of told through diary entries that um our main boy whose name escapes me oh philip hastain is the Mm -hmm. the they're all they're both protagonists philip hastain is just like relating this story to us yeah uh, yeah by way of uh uh, Giles's diary entries. So, Giles makes not one, but I think, believe three uh, separate visits to this strange world, and each, each mm. one he's going a little further. Uh, it's a sort of half desert, half lush landscape. Um, however, the structures and um, remnants he sees of a civilization far outsize anything um earthbound so it's all cyclopean mm-hmm. huge uh strange um geometries and much larger than than normal um he runs into 10 foot tall uh rainbow hued armor or i guess rainbow armored um mm. sort of it doesn't he he goes out of his way to like not describe the things but on purpose and yeah, he's like, he's like, here's this thing, and I'm, it's, it's not human. It's ten feet tall, but if I talk about it, if I try to describe it in like English or in human mm. terms, it'll make it sound like it's a monster. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah, our words can only make this horrible, but that's not yeah. what I'm seeing. Like they're just kind <laughs> of, they're just big boys, um, on a, yeah. on, a on a march. <laughs> And they're not, they're not scary, they're just large. So he finds out that uh, not only are these rainbow-hued uh, fellas going down this road, but there's like other creatures of various shapes and sizes, um, all heading to a, a large gate of a mm. city, like a walled city. Um, that that's enough to like turn him back so he he leaves the first time and kind of you know he's gathering the courage to see if he wants to go back again um yeah obviously ends up going back again um and finds out that uh the 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 gates of the city are eventually opened and he can go inside and everything's um dwarfing him you know to even more just very very large Mm -hmm. structures and then he he runs across the um 
the native inhabitants of this city. And these are even more ginormous, much larger than the 10 foot tall um, kind of bug guys. Um, mm. But mm. but these have no ears and like a sort of solemn face. And they just stand around sort of guarding okay. guarding something. Uh, and mm. in the, the center of the city, he finds a large building. Uh, I say large, everything's large. Um, but it's a larger <laughs> building um, that everything is heading towards, and it appears to be some sort of temple. And then within this structure, there is a uh, central sort of pedestal with a big green flame on it. Um, th this, like, terrifies him, so he leaves yeah. again. Um, the... the the problem he's running into is that the closer he got to the city, or once I think he was in the city, he started hearing a strange uh, music, and the music is coming from that flame, and it's it's hypnotizing and drawing people toward it. So he was starting to feel like that pull, so it was difficult for him to leave this time. Uh, but he, he all he could do was think about that music, even once he was out of that world. Yeah. So he resolved to return a third time. Uh, and I, I believe on the second time, I know he took a gun just to protect himself <laughs> from the huge giants. Um, yeah. And on the third visit, he takes the gun and he's like, I'm not going to go by myself. So he ropes mm. his good buddy Felix Ebenly uh, to, to make the visit with him. He, had, um, he makes a point of considering another author uh, friend. Mm. He's like, oh, I could get my one friend that's an author but maybe i don't know it might be too much for him but felix yeah. my good old boy felix he's he's my illustrator for my stories and he uh, among, he among anybody would love to see like this these you know strange yeah. strange vistas and he could make sense of it and um uh he shouldn't have any problem with the music and i will we'll, we'll bring cotton to stuff our ears up cuz that's mm. that's a good uh resolution for that problem yeah it's so, traditional a little, little bit of cotton maybe you'll be okay <laughs> um well it turns out they're not okay and, and we we oh, find no. as they watch the <laughs> they get to the city and they watch the procession and these what he terms as pilgrims all these different creatures coming coming to visit this city um mm. one by one file into the flame and like self-immolate they just oh burn up and just keep filing in and filing in, and uh, the, the the large giant guardians are just impassively watching, but then kind of trying to, I, I believe it's them, trying to shoo him away, like, when he arrives. Mm. But there's no, like, violence in it. They just kind of stern, disapproving look. <laughs> um, Shoot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> get on, get on out of here! You don't belong get on to the flame. Out of our singing flame city. <laughs> it's just singing. Why y'all coming here? Trying to mess up our flame. <laughs> but um, it doesn't go so well for uh, Felix. Uh, Ebony didn't put in the cotton in his ears, and he just walks right into the flame. And mm. uh, uh, Giles can't like stop him. Or I think he starts, yeah. like, you think the cotton's not quite working uh, as well as it should have. And he uh, also, I believe at this point, I think he just follows him in. Mm. Or some, something happens, yeah. he gets bumped in or something, and they, they just both vanish. Um, okay. So then so then we get uh, our our real narrator, who I already forgot what it is. Oh, Philip. <laughs> Philip. Um he decides that he's read these diary entries and he's like, I got to, um, I got to see if it's real. Cause I, you know, he's, he yeah. doesn't, his friend's just gone <laughs> and all he has left are these diary entries. So I'm, I'm not, I guess he must have mm. left the diary with that third entry. Yeah. I don't know how it got back. I don't it remember if the, the story. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause he, he definitely talks about, um, them getting immolated. Mm. Oh, um, I think he maybe he fled, dropped the diary off, and then couldn't resist going back. I think that's maybe what happened. That makes more sense, and that's the only way that um Philip would have been able to get the diary. Mm. Um, so I don't think he picked it up. Well, regardless, 
Uh, Philip also <clears throat> makes his trek to those two stones and discovers that his buddy was not lying, and there is a crazy dun, world. Dun, dun. <clears throat> um, however, um, Philip's experience of the world is much less uh, peaceful. So as he gets to this strange land, uh, he he sees in the distance these two towers, towers in a large black ominous cloud in the, in the, on the horizon uh, that mm. seem to be moving closer in the direction of that large city that he he stumbles upon yeah and as the the clouds and towers move the land around them is like obliterated to turn into just blasted desert and Mm. so he's like that's probably not a good thing um but it's too it's too (laughs) big and too scary for him to like be able to do anything about it it's the same thing i guess yeah. as if it's if you see a tornado or something coming it's like well you can run but it's much larger than you so <laughs> that's probably just staving mm. off the inevitable for a few minutes yeah <laughs> well he he encounters the music um this time i think he had yeah he had to have read the diary because he's um he has given himself uh it was a drug something mm. to to inoculate himself against sound because it wasn't just cotton yeah um but whatever whatever it was i think it's an anti-hypnotism drug or something but um whatever it is it 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 mostly works like it's much more effective than just cotton by itself because he's able to like resist the sound of, of the singing but he can he can tell what it's doing so it's it's giving him like the um you know you're being hypnotized and so you can stop it, but you know it's going on. Mm. He's aware of the music. He just doesn't doesn't bother him um, as it had uh, uh, yeah. Emily. Well, ahead of the cloud that's approaching uh, are two moving dots that get closer and closer um, very quickly. And it turns out that they're these very big and very touchy-feely moths. Uh, moths with okay with tentacle legs um um (laughs) the the moths don't appear to be um antagonistic and they uh, so he gets to the gate and the moths are on their way still he can he can see what they're they're Mm. larger than a person so he can see what they are before they've arrived and the the gate is closed to the city so he can't get in and there's he's too small and the city's just too large for him to be able to find another way in so Mm. he's like i can hear the music i know it's trying to get me to go in but i'm at a loss of how to proceed um oh um you know (laughs) just sitting Mm. at the gate um while these two two moths show up and offer him a lift like that's cool as you do um (laughs) i don't think he has much of a choice in the matter they grab his arms with their little tentacles and just Mm pick him up and carry him over the uh, wall yeah um and then they all go to the temple or toward the temple he tells them like hey let me down because they can kind of understand him but they they don't talk Mm. um and he realizes that the moths are ensorcelled to the flame like they're not gonna stop they just they were they, moths they, to the flame really like moths to the flame um I, I didn't i didn't write this um <laughs> so the you know the moths are like yeah we're gonna go to the thing man it's like oh you want to want to ride too and then he's like can you guys let me down it's like no dude we're all going to the flame oh, go to the flame <laughs> so they all go into the flame oh, the end wow. the end everyone dies. yeah not the end yeah. not the end at all um it's only like halfway <laughs> into the story. Uh, oh my well, god! It, really? Yes. Or maybe maybe three three fourths. Um, okay. So it turns out, um, Philip finds out that uh, the flame, well, it does incinerate you. Mm. It reduces yeah. you to your atoms. Um, yeah. But it enlightens every atom in your being, and then you are reformed in basically what's paradise okay so interesting you've you've, they've entered nirvana via flame self-immolation 
as a method or road to enlightenment. Um, it's an interesting concept. Uh, yeah. It's definitely, yeah, not, definitely not what I thought was going to happen when no. I went into the flame. <laughs> Man, um, really interesting. It's, yeah, it was just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I'm I, uncomfortable I, about the moths, though, i got to say. It is. Okay, like, here, I got the, I, I pulled the passage up, so this is when the moths are going to come pick them up. Um, I hesitated, fearing that the storm would burst upon me before I could reach the interdimensional portals. That's the two gates. Um, for I saw that I should mm. be exposed to an element, an elemental disturbance of unfamiliar character and supreme violence. Then, in midair, before the imminent of ever rising cloud, I perceived two flying creatures whom I can only compare to giant moths with bright, luminous wings. Upon the ebon forefront of the storm, they approached me in level but precipitate flight and would have crashed headlong against the shut gate had they not checked themselves with sudden easy poise. With hardly a flutter, they descended and paused on the ground beside me, supporting themselves on queer, delicate legs that branched at the knee joints in fluttering, no, in floating antenna and waving tentacles. Their wings oh. were sumptuously modeled, webs of pearl and matter opal, matter, opal and orange. Their heads were circled by a series of convex and concave eyes, fringed with coiling horn-like organs, from whose hollow ends there hung aerial filaments. I was startled mm. and amazed by their aspect, but somehow, by an obscure telepathy, I felt assured that their intentions toward me were friendly. <laughs> I, <laughs> God. Friendly tentacles. I knew that they wished to enter the city, and that they also understood my predicament. Nevertheless, I was not prepared for what happened. With movements of utmost celerity and grace, one of the giant moth-like beings stationed itself at my right hand, the other at my left. Then, before I could even suspect their intentions, they enfolded my limbs and body with their long tentacles, wrapping me round and round as if with powerful <laughs> ropes, and carrying um. me between them as if my weight were a mere trifle. They rose in the air and soared at the mighty ramparts. What you wow. doing? What you doing there, buddy? Oh, you're on my right? Oh, you're on you, my left? What could this just, be? Uh, just wrapping me up with tentacles and taking me off towards the flame. <laughs> let's go somehow i feel this is all all right and they mean me no harm i, I do not trust this feeling it's <laughs> it's telepathic man it's telepathic <laughs> they uh, mean me no harm yeah yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> it was i mean it's it's uh, definitely like i said it's unexpected i'm just like well yeah moths yeah that's fire Sure. Yeah, like moss to a lamp. Um, tentacle, tentacle, tentacle moss. Tentacle. Why do, tentacle they have, why moss. do the moths need tentacles? Because why they're is not, that more they're disturbing? not regular moths. They got many I eyes. Think, I think regular wings. giant moths with telepathy would have been weird enough for this like weird little Lovecraft crossover. <laughs> he he had to just go big or go home. Everything's bigger. Everything's mm. tentaclier. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what the last part. Oh, so he he gets to the the other the Nirvana uh, analog, mm. and he he runs into his two buddies. They also did not mm. immolate, but they they're just hanging out in a bush. It's really weird. He just shows up, and they yeah. just pop out of a bush. They're like, "Hey, buddy." Welcome to the land of magical uh, enlightenment. If yeah. we, we've been here, we've been here for ages, and we we're waiting for you. And uh, the longer you stay here, you gain. It's not mm. even telepathy. It's like all kinds of crazy powers. Like yeah, the, yeah. Because you you understand how the universe works, and you can manipulate uh. it to suit you. So, one of those power sets, yeah. Yeah, it's like we can fly, we can do all kinds of things. Um, but unfortunately, uh, word is that the 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 two I don't think they said two towers, but that's what they're referring to the the mm -hmm. giant towers that are obliterating everything. Um, those boys are coming, and they're they're gonna destroy this world, Ooh. like. Like their their intent is to destroy the flame because that other um that other world uh 
is afraid of the fire because uh, it, it's, it's drawing everything into it. They're like it's that mm. fire is destroying all the civilizations and all the people because they don't realize that if you go into the flame, that's enlightenment. So it's, yeah. a, it's a good thing, but they're all afraid of it because they only see all their friends and loved ones or whoever just being burnt up. Mm. And and of course, no one can go back on the other side or no one really wants to. So no one's going to pop yeah. there and go, hey, guys, it's okay. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> this enormous flame is good for you. Enter the flame, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the new, yeah. the enlightened world is called Idmos. I don't remember what the other one's called. There's just the the towers are controlled yeah. by the outer lords who do not like. Well, I think the issue is that they know what is beyond the flame, but they're losing control of all their people that they that they lord mm-hmm. over, like all their workers and everybody is just leaving them. So yeah, in a in a fit of control and jealousy, they're just like, well, we'll just destroy the flame, and then everyone will stop going over there. Mm. Um, and that's what they do. Uh, they destroy the flame, and it obliterates Nirvana. Yeah, like great. It's, it's really weird. Wonderful. So the the flame is not <laughs> like just a simple gateway. It it it, it, it is, is the entirety, the entirety of, the of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least it's it's he doesn't he doesn't explicitly say that, but the flame is destroyed. And the world's gone. <laughs> it um it ejects the three guys because they're um i don't know how they escape they just suddenly are not Uh. in there anymore (laughs) they're they're doing their um dr manhattan float around thing because the the two guys are like well Mm -hmm. we'll we'll go to the next farthest um temple on in this side and we can escape the destruction but it didn't turn (laughs) out that way and they they have Mm -hmm. their they do the same thing as the moths they're like you can't you haven't been here long enough to be able to fly but we can so we'll just each take one of your arms and we'll just fly you mm. along <laughs> <laughs> and um it doesn't end well they all no. get they all get kicked out into the blasted landscape of the ruined temple um ebonly is crushed by a rock uh, because mm. with the 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 world of the flame when it's destroyed all of the understanding and peace and all these attributes that it it grants upon you after you've been Mm. recreated over there is removed okay so all three men are left like insensate and weak because they they've they've Mm. they've gone from like a glory to being mere mortals again um but uh ebonly is like crushed by a like a piece of rock somehow and yeah. uh, um, Philip drags uh, his his uh, the original dude who I forgot his name because there's too many people. Um, and Garth, yeah, yeah. Um, Giles, he he mm. grabs him and they they make their way out of the blasted uh, world and back through the rocks to Nevada story pretty mm. much ends with them saying that oh nirvana's now gone and our lives are like forever poor because of it so it's just like a sad <laughs> ending yeah oh <laughs> that's, that's a really weird story no, i gotta read that i guess no no now. Moth, no moth buddies no moth buddies god i gotta read these ones now yeah, yeah. i mean they're all they're all really good uh yeah 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 i think here's the here's the the ending of this um after having finally laid down Engarth's journal, I was unable to forget the peculiar and tantalizing problems it raised. The vague but infinitely suggestive vistas opened by the tale were such as to haunt my imagination. Wait, I think this is when he goes there. Hmm. Oh, I thought it was the end. Nope, that's just that's just the part. Okay, so he Engarth must have come back, dropped off the journal, and then was like, I can't. Can't stop the music and um goes back after Evanly, who he knew mm. who he knew had been like vaporized by the flame. Um, so that's that's what happens. But I don't remember. 
I think it just ends with them going like, yeah, that sucked. Yep. Oh, here it is. The, the moving towers of the wrathful outer lords had withdrawn. Their armies had disappeared on the plains beyond Edmos. When we staggered over the ribbon, shapeless and scoragic scoriac crags that had formed the city's ramparts, before us was nothing but desolation, a fire-blackened and vapor-vaulted expanse in which no tree or blade of grass remained. Across this waste, we found our way to the slope of violet grass above the plain, which had lain beneath or beyond the path of the invaders' bolts. There, the guiding monoliths, reared by a people whom we never, whom we were never to learn even the name, still looked down upon the fuming desert and the mounded rack of Edmos. There, at length, we came once more to the grayest green columns that were the gateway between the worlds. And it ends. Hmm. So we're just left to go like. Um. Well, that was a fun fever dream y'all had, and yeah, some some dude was <laughs> murdered. Um. Uh, the 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 passage previous to this uh was not not important in particular, but well mm. suited suited to give a sense of some of this. Like pygmies lost in some shattered fortalice of the giants, we stumbled onward. Strangling in mephitic and metallic vapors, reeling with weariness, dizzy with the heat that emanated everywhere to surge upon us in buffeting waves. The way was blocked by overthrown buildings, by toppled towers and battlements, over which we climbed precariously and toilsomely, and often we were compelled to deviate from our direct course by enormous rifts that seemed to cleave the foundations of the world. Um, this passage and a lot of the general... Uh, scenes like the specific scenes in this, I would not be mm. surprised if this like informed um some of Dark Souls just as as a piece of fiction set in a world that typifies that sort of post-apocalyptic feeling. There's they're dealing a lot with mm. comparing the smallness of human as you know as pygmy versus this land of giants um yeah you get the two moths come in and carry him over the gates into the giant city i just there was a lot of imagery that mm. made me think of, of specific key um, points in dark souls so yeah that, that was what yeah. made the story a little bit more relatable um mm. despite it being super long because because <laughs> i mean a lot like those those last three paragraphs is how everything is written so yeah very just, prosy it's super <laughs> prosy and you could have like removed every other paragraph and not lost information <laughs> that you needed. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah, well. yeah, I mean it was uh I recommend this just on the themes in it because they're mm. it's, it's looking at um extra dimensions and uh enlightenment and like metaphysical powers and just kind of interesting things that you don't normally see in this kind of literature granted to the main main protagonists usually it's in in some inscrutable other and not uh open to um like the rank and file just the regular people um mm. so that part was cool uh as far yeah. as I don't know tentacle moths. I was, I was like, "That's good. That's a good monster." <laughs> yeah, no, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, uh, I think that might wrap us up then. I think it does. That was the city of the swinging flame and the ghoul, both by Clark and Ashton mm. Smith, which are all in. Um, I think they're in public. They're, yeah, they're in the yeah. I don't know if they're fully in public domain, but they're um, you can just go read them. them mostly for, read them. For they're free. out there. <laughs> And we recommend them. Also, we learned a oh, little, yeah. little bit about lions today. Yeah. Guardian lions. Very informative. Um, I don't uh, I don't think we have anything specific planned for next time, so we'll see. Uh, we should be back mm -hmm. to our regular release schedule. We've had it kind of jumping around a little bit. Uh, mm. So we should be back with another episode in two weeks time as has been the norm for a little while yeah um, although heads up audience i may not be there for that one because i think i might have a christmas party 
Yeah, but and we we we'll could see. have this, we could have something <laughs> pop up like that. It's it's getting toward the holidays um, for everybody. Yeah, so we'll we'll see if we can get in another episode before the new year. Um, if not, we'll mm. we'll keep everyone informed. Yeah, by we'll by, by next episode, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll, yeah, once, once we know, you'll know. But but Dave, how can they stay well informed about the activities of our podcast? They can stay well informed by checking out our Twitter or just looking at mine or yours or Leonard's. Yeah, so <laughs> if you go to sentinut underscore plus on Twitter, um, that's where I am. I have links to all the extra available information. Um, or you can just ask mm-hmm. me and I'll tell you once mm-hmm. I know. Um, you can also <laughs> take a look at Leonard's. Um, his is at Dr. Faust is dead on Twitter. Or you can find him as well on YouTube. If you just search Dr. Faust is dead for his YouTube channel. Yeah. Cameron, mm-hmm. how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. Uh, come to me for all your, uh, I don't have a specific theme right now, all your random holiday posts and yelling about Tumblr slowly dissolving into ash, even though I haven't used Tumblr in five years. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also ask me about the podcast if you want to know about the podcast, because I will tell you things. Yes, yes, uh, and um, you have you have another podcast, correct? Oh, God, you know what? I actually forgot for a minute. What'd you do? <laughs> um, you forgot that? You... <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I forgot that I I was on another podcast. <laughs> you are on another podcast, as I've, I, I I've been told. Podcast. Um, yeah, if you if you're into tabletop wargaming, specifically of the the expensive plastic games workshop brand, uh, come check us out at Realm and Rune uh, on Twitter. Realm and Rune is the name of the podcast uh we're, we're we're having a lot of fun with it and we're going to next weekend record our last episode for the year because it's the end of the year and our lives are falling apart and matthew yes. has a child so yes these, these <laughs> things happen and as you and as you mentioned your your co-host on there is everyone's favorite boy matt yeah Go check him out at Ninja Badger Seven. I don't think he's posted on his personal Twitter for a while. Oh, he's been he's been busy, <laughs> um, and rightly yeah. so. Again, child. So yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I think that's that's it for today. Uh, I said mm-hmm. we'll we'll see you soon ish, uh, and keep y'all posted if you have comments or questions or recommendations for other um, Clark Ashton Smith stories. Let us know. Um, Definitely, we will take a look at them because there are a lot. He was very pro- prolific with his writing, and <laughs> hopefully some of them aren't an hour's worth of reading again for a short story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that it wasn't enjoyable. But no. uh, I think I think that's us signing off, and we will talk to you guys uh, in a few weeks. Ta-ra. Bye-bye.